Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 117. The show is brought to you this week by our two sponsors, Casper and MailRoute. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined across the internet, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen. Hi. Hey, buddy. I am coming to you from across the world and the internet, so... It's, do you ever have those moments where you just think about how absurd all of this is? Just like that we do this? <laughs> it's so kinda, strange. It's kind of romantic even, I would say, wow. you know? Wow. Yeah, a friend of mine is visiting the United States, and um, he was posting pictures on Facebook. And, uh, and I think I saw a picture of um, Michael Jackson's house. Mm-hmm. Is that in, what's the one in Memphis? Is that Michael Jackson's or it's Elvis? El- Elvis. So he posted a picture of Elvis, and I was like, the first thing I thought was not, oh, cool, my friend is checking out, you know, Elvis' house. I was like, that's Stevens' town. So, it's true. You know, yeah, you you change my perception of <laughs> Memphis because I associate I, Memphis with you now. I took Mike to Grace, so I'd never been until maybe like five years ago when Mike came to Memphis and we went together. Mm. And if you ever come visit me, which you totally should, uh, we will go. It is the most surreal tour you will ever. (laughs) It is just super strange. It's very, very, very weird. Uh, We went on a Sunday morning and it was like us and just buses full of tourists, Okay, uh, which is super weird. Like, I'm sure you feel the same way in Rome, right? Like, the, the, you, like you see tourist groups and you kind of roll your eyes. Like it's sort yeah, of a strange yeah. thing. Um, but we went and it was just like really, really weird. <laughs> was Mike taking pictures? Mike was taking pictures. Uh, I'll maybe see if I can find a picture of us and put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah I hear he's not with us because he's working on his own Graceland for, you know, when the time will come. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was. He said there's a plumber coming over, so I assume they're, you know, they're almost finalizing everything. Uh, I guess the plumber's been there for like eight hours, so I don't think it's going well. Yeah, well, I mean, Mike's Graceland is a big place, so you know, takes a lot of hours. It's true. <laughs> okay, so we should do some follow up, and then we'll get into get into things. Uh, there are some claims out that in early December we will see a limited run of AirPods for the first time. So they were due out last month. Uh, you will remember Apple made a statement saying, uh, they're not quite ready. We need a little more time. So, uh, BRB. And um, I don't know if this is true or not, mm-hmm. but it, I would like it for it to be true. As we spoke about, I would like to to order these things. But Yeah, I mean, we got no no other official details from Apple, just uh, still coming soon. And I, I, I don't understand, like, a limited run doesn't mean, like, only some regions get the AirPods, only some Apple stores. Could be. Uh, maybe the problem was a production issue and they want to release them before the end of the year. And then, you know, they're going to have wider availability next year. Could be. Or it could be January everywhere. This is a rumor from some supply chain sources, I guess. Or from an Apple store retail guy. Is that the one from the Apple store retail person who talked to a friend of your uncle or a cousin? I think so, yeah. I mean, yeah. who knows, right? That's like, the story. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So uh, we will uh, keep tabs on that. Uh, also in the news, something that, that we've talked about in the past, this this rumor that keeps popping up of like three iPad mm. sizes. So you would have 9.7 and then 10.9 and then the big one. I guess four if you include the mini that uh, Apple apparently still makes. If this rumor kind of collides those things a little bit and, and sort of the TLDR is that the new... Um, this new 10.9 inch model is basically the 9.7 without any bezels or with very small bezels. So, you know, Apple names their sizes based on the screen size, not the device size itself, because you have the bezels and the aluminum and everything. Um, but this would push the iPad into this territory that we've talked about the, you know, sort of the unicorn iPhone with like no home button, no bezels, all glass. And this rumor says, like, well, the iPad may beat it there as early as this spring. Uh, what do you think about this? Because I have I have lots of questions. This is interesting, right? Because we're we're not just talking about a different size; they're also kind of implying without bezels. So that what what does it happen with the with the home button? Do we get an iPad that ditches the the home button before the iPhone does? And if it, if it truly is an iPad uh, with a virtual home button. How does it work in terms of, of software? Um, does Apple use gestures to, you know, to navigate the iPad, to navigate between apps? And it just, the idea s- sounds amazing on paper, right? To have like a single piece of glass, 
large, beautiful display that you hold in your hands and you don't see the bezels. So on, in theory, that sounds incredible. But in practice, I wonder how is it going to work? Uh, because I already have so many doubts about the iPhone. And, but, but maybe the, the, the part in me that wants to believe this rumor, maybe it's easier for Apple to start doing this on the iPad, which is beautiful, uh, which is, you know, beautiful device to look at in terms of screen size, which would make even more of an impression. But it's also bigger than the iPhone. Uh, so it maybe allows Apple to experiment with an easier device, if it makes you know sense, uh, it must be tri- trickier on the iPhone, which is smaller and everything is super compact. But maybe on the iPad Pro, you have a little more more leverage in terms of how much you can arrange under the display. But this is just a crazy theory. In practice, uh, are we really looking at an iPad that is only a piece of glass with no home button? How do you? make it work? How do you explain that to people? Um, How is that a pro feature? I mean, I guess you could push the iPad as a piece of glass without bezels. Uh, That could be a selling point for creatives, for artists, and in general for people who want to have the biggest display, the biggest impact on an iPad. That could make sense. But uh, I also, again, I, I... I have many questions about how in practice it's going to work. How is it going to work with Touch ID? How is it going to work if, the, you know, if you have some software issue and then you're stuck without a physical home button? It's true that we're already moving past the traditional home button with the iPhone 7. I, I just, I'm both excited by the idea. I think it makes sense on a bunch of different levels. And I think it's going to be if it's really just a piece of glass without bezels and without buttons, it's going to be a beautiful device. But on the other hand, I'm also concerned that it's going to be difficult in a bunch of other ways. Yeah, I think um, I think I agree with all of that. And I mean, I think back to the the iPad Mini and then the iPad Air that you know the, the bezels had been even all the way around, and then now they're skinny on the side, which is where we've been for a while now, and just how much better that felt and how old and janky the old design felt like instantly this idea of like just having a piece of glass really feels like the future but you know there's some there's some real usability questions i have you know they've gotten a lot better at the thumb detection on the sides if you're holding and scrolling you know your thumb doesn't stop the scroll obviously that would have to be like really bulletproof because these things are too big at least for you know for, for me, I can't palm a 9.7-inch iPad. You know, I can iPad mini, but uh, I got to hold it with my thumb around the front. And so that sort of technology has to be, like, perfect yeah. in, a, in a situation like this. Or just be really frustrating to use, right? Because like, you're just trying to use your, your iPad and you're, you, know, you can't because you have to hold it. And then you're, like, balancing it and you, you drop it. I don't know. Um, I would find it interesting if the iPad beats the iPhone here. Just because the iPhone exactly. is the... Yeah the product uh you know maybe it's it's like you say the iphone would be harder to do because everything's smaller and so this is like a proof of concept like a proving ground for the technology but um just just so many questions um but it does seem to gel with what you've been saying that this is the ipad is going to be on a spring cycle uh from now on which i you know now it seems uh, Mm -hmm. the fall is over they're not doing any any more stuff between now and the end of the year um, and uh, I don't think they can go all the way until the fall again with the iPad. So I think I think this like February, March, April time frame is is sort of home for the iPad now. And um, I for one am glad. Like I think the iPad needs some breathing room from the iPhone as far as like product cycle stuff. And it of course gives all the Apple press, uh, including me and you. Um, something to talk about in the spring besides just WWC predictions uh, for uh, for months and months. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think this you you get the uh, emoji with sunglasses. I think that's um, that's <laughs> you right now. I mean, uh, the time frame seems to be holding up. And again, the last time I checked, uh, the the uh, the idea seemed to be that there's some big software features coming to the iPad and coming to the iPad Pro line 
And I, I don't know yet the extent of those changes or the details of those changes. I wouldn't be surprised. This is my personal speculation. I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at a home screen revamp or um, multitasking changes in terms of split view and slide over seems to be a given. But I feel like Apple is planning a really big update. And while last year with iOS 9.3, we saw big changes to education, I feel like we're going to have a repeat of that style but only big changes for everyone not just mm-hmm. educators and and school institutions i feel like it's going to be the same style of last year uh when we got an announcement in january and a release in march i think so I, i'm curious to see does apple uh you know make it to the end of the year with no new announcements beside you know what we saw today and uh then we're looking at a january announcement of no, some kind of Apple event, maybe, or new iPads announced, or are we just going to get a web page uh, about 10.3 with the developer beta and then a proper announcement in, in the spring with, a, with, a, with an iPad event where they also show off the, 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 the new hardware? Could be. Uh, but in, it definitely seems like we're going to have, as we heard last year, we're going to have an iPad release cycle uh, separate from the iPhone. Mm-hmm. I would love to see some of those education features trickle down the especially yeah. the multiple user deal like so a situation I have right now at home uh, my kids school they have a lot of their homework is in this um, like uh, it's a web app that runs on the iPad it's actually pretty nice and so my kids are doing homework on the iPad and right now we have three iPads in the house we have my pro we have my wife's uh, iPad Air 2, and then I have an iPad Mini 2 that um, they, the, you know, the kids have just – we've had as just like the random kid iPad. But now we're in a situation where both kids need one for school, and so like they're using my wife's iPad Air some if they're not, you know, not sharing or they're using her MacBook for it. And uh, multiple users would be really nice because you would be able to have you know, the kids get on there and do their thing and not like – you know, deleting her email or uh, uninstalling apps or something. So, you know, and she's, you know, we've even talked about it, about like, can, can you do multiple years? Like, well, no, not yet. Um, and you can kind of fake it. Like if you if you run a, an OSN server and like basically trick the iPad into that you're an education uh, client, but it'd be great to have. And I'm I'm holding out until we see what's coming in the spring before I buy another iPad mini. Because if they do multiple users, that would get us by. And I think it'd get a lot of people by in that situation where you share an iPad with a spouse or a significant other or your kid and you don't, uh, you know, it's like a computer. You want your stuff to kind of be in uh, your area and their stuff in theirs. So I, for one, would be super pumped if that made it uh, into a future version of iOS 10 for the public. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows? I, <clears throat> right now, it's so dependent on having a server and having some infrastructure that most people don't have, you know, they'd have to, to, I guess, port all that stuff to iCloud or something, but yeah, it'd be fun. Uh, so up next, we have a release date for Super Mario yeah, Run. Finally. <laughs> it's coming out next month on December 15th on the App Store. It's going to be a global launch in 151 countries, which should be every country where the App Store is available. It's going to be a free download, and as Nintendo previously announced, there's going to be a single in-app purchase to unlock all content. We didn't know the pricing before. Now, Nintendo this morning and the App Store account on Twitter, um, they revealed it's going to be a $9.99 in-app purchase to unlock all, the, all of the three game modes in Super Mario Run every level uh no recurring fees no subscriptions no ads hopefully and uh this is it free download ten dollars to unlock everything it's coming out in a month it's gonna be awesome i'm excited yeah me too i'm gonna spend so much time playing this game (laughs) all right so we have a bunch of topics this week uh but first i want to tell you about our first sponsor this week which is casper casper is a company that is focused on sleep which like I just love that sentence that a company is devoted to making people have a better night's rest. <laughs> uh, they have created one perfect mattress and they sell it directly to consumers, eliminating the weird commission driven inflated prices thing you get when you go and buy a mattress because the mat- the mattress industry um, is being revolutionized by Casper because they're cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that save in savings directly to us, the consumers. 
It's an award-winning mattress that was developed in-house that has a sleek design and is delivered in an impossibly small box. I mean, this thing comes in, you slide it in your bedroom, you cut it open, it just sucks all the air out of the room and expands. Uh, it's really amazing. In fact, I, I periscoped the opening of ours because I found it so much fun. In addition to this mattress, Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. Now, this thing has quality written all over it. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It's obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create a mattress that has just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, it's breathable, so you can help regulate your temperature throughout the night. Now, mattresses are expensive. They can often cost well over $1,500, but the Casper mattress costs $500 for a twin, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for queen, and $950 for a king-size mattress, and they're made right here in America. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns in the U.S. and Canada with a 100-night in-home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Because Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit to it, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash connected and using connected at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So I wake up, I was telling you before we started recording. Uh, I wake up and I'm, you know, kind of just on my phone looking through uh, Mm -hmm. Twitter and all of a sudden people are like paging ISMH. Like, where is he? Wake Mm. up. Uh, Apple made a a press announcement this morning that they are, starting tomorrow, going to be selling a book highlighting the last 20 years of Apple design. So basically starting the way I read it, starting at the iMac G3, um, which I know a few things about. And it is going to be uh full of like 450 photographs it's going to be available in two sizes uh basically 10 by 12 at 199 dollars 13 by 16 inches at 299 dollars and limited availability in retail this is a exciting for me because i like this stuff and like people on twitter are like i don't know who to spend money on this i'm spending money on this but i mean it's it's right in my wheelhouse it's like it's gonna be like a new, a new, I don't know, like the the book that you buy in multiple versions and you just place around the house in multiple spots. It's gonna be like a, like the new kitchen coffee table book for you. <laughs> as excited as I am about it, and as excited as some Apple fans are, and some, and I totally understand that people thinking this is nuts because it is. It's a lot of money. What is going on here? So this is, you know. Apple doesn't look back very often. They did their 40 years and 40 seconds video last year. And it was pretty easy to write that off as like, oh, where they're, you know, they're leaving town hall behind and uh, they want to kind of remember what it's given the company. But this is something different. Uh, And I would argue it's not really even Apple history. This is Johnny Ive history. And, And yes, like he did design stuff before the iMac, but the iMac was the big hit. This feels, to me at least, and I want to see what you think about this, this feels a little bit like a Johnny Ive like farewell tour. Like when a mm. band puts out the their best of record, you kind of know they're done, right? Like, uh, I've been thinking about this. Um, okay. So I've been thinking about the reasons why, why a band does the greatest hits. And I came up with three reasons, I think. One is the farewell tour. Like they're saying goodbye and they want to be remembered with their best songs. The second reason is sometimes you see a band doing the greatest hits because they want to sort of have a clean slate. So they do the greatest hits and then they start doing something new. Whether they switch genres or they switch the, you know, the lineup of the band, they do the greatest hits and then they continue doing something different. And then there's the money grab when you know, they just want to make a quick buck and they release the greatest hits with you know, minimum work and they put together a bunch of songs. They don't do any remasters, they just do a fancy booklet maybe uh, with some really uh, inexpensive extras and they sell you for like 15 or $20. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the three reasons. Now, I don't see Apple having to make a quick buck from a book, um, you know, because they have a <laughs> lot of money. <laughs> so the two reasons uh, that, I'm, that I'm left wondering about is, is Johnny Ive saying goodbye or is Johnny Ive 
ready for something new and he wants to have this kind of you know compendium if you will this kind of collection about everything before he moves on to the next big thing um and i honestly don't know because on the one hand i'm kind of concerned about you know being too and you wrote this on on your post on on 512 um Apple has been more in touch with its past lately. For these past few years, we've seen we've seen that the, the Mac celebration, you know, with twenty years of Macintosh, uh, there was some kind of other video last year. The call out to old Macs at the you know the Mac event, and it seems like the general feeling is we're celebrating, we're thinking about our past more, and I, and it's cool, you know, every once in a while. But I, when I woke up this morning and I saw the press release. My first reaction was, oh, cool, they're going to have another web page. You know, when I saw Designed by Apple in California. My right. first reaction is, it's <laughs> going to be a web page or a video. And instead, it's going to be... Not a, a $300 book. <laughs> it's going to be a $300 book. And, and that makes me think, um, you know, when it's cool to be nostalgic, but it's an, another thing to make a $200 book for how beautiful it must be, you know, great photos, whatever. There's a description of the, of course, of the engineering process behind the making of the book, which I, I really don't want to read because I, I know half of these words. Um, but I'm kind of concerned on the other hand because you know, it's you know, when you're being too nostalgic, when you're think, thinking too much about your past, uh, that's not, you know, something that I envision Apple doing often. Um, so I'm kind of torn between two, uh, stances here. Uh, it's, it's nice. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, Apple products and Apple design has to be celebrated because it's unlike anything else, but also Apple is very famously the company who doesn't like to dwell on their past. They like to move forward. They like to do the next thing. And so to have a press release and a $200 book with a $300 version for, for the Plus model, uh, it's kind of odd. <laughs> Did you just call it the Plus model? <laughs> no, it must be. It must be called internally. So I've been thinking about this too, and I think I'm going to amend my blog post or, or post an update to it. I think my position has changed a little bit in that Steve Jobs didn't like looking back. Uh, I linked to it in my blog post. When Jobs returned to Apple in 97, uh, Apple had been curating a large internal historical library, and he came in and donated the entire thing to Stanford. Just like, back your truck up to the door and take it all. Apple has since been slowly rebuilding that. Uh, on, on occasion, you see these stories, or if you're like in this world, you know that Apple will sometimes reach out to people to want to purchase software or purchase a piece of hardware that they they're, are building a collection internally. There's a story that they're going to be reopening a museum at Campus 2. So what I think is that Jobs didn't like to look back and that Apple, in the year since uh, Steve's passing, has changed about that. And... It's weird because it's still new, but I think this is. I think we're going to see more of this in the future. Um, but it's just the thing to me that I keep coming back to is like what, like what does it mean for Ive? What does it mean for um, you know, like you said, like what direction is he going? Is this a, a swan song type deal, or is this a hey, you know, this is what we've done for the last twenty years? Uh, buckle up because some new stuff is coming, and we can talk about some of that new that new stuff. Um, uh, we have uh, one of those topics later in the show, but it's it's just uh, an odd moment because this sort mm. of retrospective look is still mm. fresh from Apple and a little bit uncomfortable, I think, for some of us who um, are just, you know, when you first think about Apple looking back, you know, you think about how Jobs didn't like doing that and now they're doing it. But um, yeah, it, I got to say, it's the most Johnny Ive product yeah. ever. <laughs> Here's what I want to ask you. A couple of weeks ago, John Gruber had this article on Daring Fireball about how uh, if you think Apple is going to do a 10-year anniversary iPhone, you're kidding yourself. That was the extent of the story. Now, if a company does a book uh, with, you know, uh, 450 f photos and it sells it for $200 and $300, is it also the company who's never going to do a 10-year anniversary iPhone? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the to back Gruber's argument, a book that only sure. a few people are going to yeah. buy, drastically different than the world's yes. biggest consumer electronics product. I agree. I agree. 
but you never know. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. But it's you can you can I guess you can be nostalgic for things that don't matter and not nostalgic for the product that gives you the most income. So when it comes to the iPhone, you're always looking forward. But when it comes to a book, whatever, let's just make money off old products. Uh, but it uh, it's sort of. I think it, this book betrays the fact that the the there is an underlying feeling or thought process inside Apple that has a bunch of executives who like to celebrate old things. So it's not completely unlike Apple at this point to be nostalgic. We could argue that they're never going to do this for the iPhone or for current products. We could argue that they're going to do it for things that are just minor, you know, minor announcements like a book or like, I don't know, a poster. I mean, it could be anything at this point. Um, but to say that Apple is not 100% nostalgic, that Apple never looks back, that at this point is incorrect because they, mm-hmm. are, they are looking back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe in two years they will do a 20th anniversary iMac and it will be, you know, a beautiful 5K display covered in uh, blue, green, translucent plastic. <laughs> So yeah, so I will, uh, like I said, I'm going to be ordering one. I, I would point people to uh, Iconic Book. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. If you are into this sort of thing, but you want more than just the last 20 years, if you want to see a bunch of stuff before that, um, this is a book uh, by a, uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Jonathan, and it is uh, a really, it's like this, right? It's like high production photography. He traveled the world taking pictures of people's collections and, and rare items, and uh, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, they have been a sponsor in the past. They're not sponsoring this. I just really like the book. Um, in fact, he sent me. He sent me. I feel like a pre-production uh, copy of it here, and it's it's a really nice um, gift or something. You know, yeah. both of these things would be nice gifts for Apple nerds in your life this Christmas. But um, <laughs> it's uh, you know, there's a lot of resources out there if you or if you're into this sort of stuff and don't want to spend three hundred bucks for a. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, how did Apple describe it? Uh, Specially milled, custom-dyed paper with gilded matte silver edges <laughs> using eight color separations and logo stink. Uh, linen-bound. Like, I mean, like, what is happening? It's thing, like, th- has to be like uh, some kind of secret code if you're also an engineer and you hear somebody talking this way, you know they're like you because they are using the same words, like a special passphrase, you know? Logo stink is going to be my new band name. Uh, they did say it's been in development for eight years. So Jobs was around for at least the beginning of this. I like to think that it was like a secret, like Johnny I've had it on his personal Dropbox account. It's like just taking pictures uh, at night. <laughs> and it's like one day I'll do it. And uh, uh, tomorrow is that day. <laughs> uh, you, you got one detail wrong. It was iDisk, but not Dropbox, but still. There you go. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. At I know you. old stuff too, you know. Okay. You should do some of that on your website one day. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. So MacBook Pro with Touch Bar reviews are in. Um, neither of us has spent time with one. It's on my to-do list this week to, to go to the Apple Store. Um, but I think there's some pretty like clear general thoughts across these reviews. And so we have a bunch of friends who wrote some. Uh, there's uh, some links in the show notes. It's early days for this Touch Bar, and it seems really inconsistent at times. Like even in Apple's own apps... Like pages may do one thing, uh, and then Final Cut Pro does something like drastically different, like conceptually different with it. That's not surprising to me. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Apple's software division has pockets, and like not everything is even developed in Cupertino. So, like a lot of the logic team is in Europe, and there was an iWork team at least for a while, I think in Canada somewhere. Like these groups are independent to a degree, and so you know. Early days, I think there will be a consistent like use case for this, even in third-party apps. Like Jason was talking on Upgrade this week, which if you haven't listened to, you should go listen to. He, he talks a lot about the Touch Bar. That like even in like development of like PCalc, like James uh, Thompson has been like changing the way things work based on feedback and trying to fit into what is um what is going on of with like 
use case and like how like when does it make sense to leave your keyboard and touch the touch bar and then come back like when does it make sense to like do something the touch bar then you have to go to the trackpad and look at the screen like Mm -hmm. these things all the same all over the place right now but um i think it will get better over time is like consistent use case kind of builds i mean i think i think it's similar to like some stuff we've seen on ios with like um some of the early days of like the extensions and you would or you would see like one developer implement something um, and then another developer implement like what would be the same feature, but in a drastically different way. Um, and I think that that will sort of all gel over time. Yeah, I saw a few screenshots. Of course, I, this is not high on my list of things I'm interested <laughs> in, but I, I read the reviews. I, I still had to watch the Casey Neistat uh, review that uh, Mike sent, to, sent us a link this morning. Um, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how, how both Apple and developers figure out the touch bar together. It reminds me of widgets in a way that, you know, initially it's uh, all over the place and maybe Apple, you know, will sort of revise and redesign some of their implementations. Uh, one one striking difference, I think, is on 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 iOS with extensions and widgets, we saw some... App Store rejections because some developers were trying ideas that Apple said, well, maybe you shouldn't really do this kind of widget on the iPhone. So we saw a bunch of back and forth um, for these new designs, new features. So I don't think we're going we're gonna to see the same on the Mac because, I mean, the Mac App Store is already a problem. Now you're going to even reject apps. So I, I don't think it, you know we'll have that kind of scenario on, on, on Mac OS. But it's definitely interesting uh, to keep an eye on what developers do and what's going to happen. I do like that it's open to developers right out of the gate. This is not something that is like tied to the Mac App Store. Like 2011, Apple would have been like, you can only use it if you're in the Mac App Store, and now you can even use iCloud stuff. It's um, right, so I like that it's open, and but the trade-off there is that it's going to be messy for a little while. And something something that Jason said that I've been thinking about. Um, I think I thought this initially, I think some people said it, was that it being only on the notebooks was going to limit their like penetration of this technology, that just being on laptops means that pros won't have it. And to Jason's point, the notebooks are like two-thirds of Mac sales these days. And even though it's just on the most expensive models, it will trickle down. And so even if it's never on the iMac, which I hope it is as an iMac user, that it's still going to have like wide adoption in the Mac community eventually. So speaking of the touch bar, uh, the, if you have a Mac without uh, one, if you have a, if you don't have one of the new MacBook Pros, our friend Daniel Jacut make um, is making a touche, which is a basically simulates a virtual touch bar on your Mac. We've seen a bunch of these utilities utilities on GitHub um, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I think this is an easier way to install uh, this kind of app to simulate the touch bar on the screen, which is completely not not like having the real thing, of course, but it helps you, one, um, understand what it looks like in software. And two, you, it helps you take screenshots of the touch bar, which I don't think it's natively supported on, on the MacBook Pro. So if you're looking for a way to sort of see what the buttons look like, what the interactions look like, and what the general feel of the touch bar could be, uh, it's a free download from the Red Sweater website. Um, I, I still haven't run this on, on my Mac because I feel like it's going to die because if I install <laughs> this kind of this kind of hack uh, and i don't want my macbook to die just yet but it's um i think it's it's interesting especially if you want to if you want to open multiple apps that have been updated for sierra and you want to see how the, the 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 shortcuts and the buttons change not just when you switch between apps but also when you change the view inside of the same app so the touch bar the controls can change whether you're editing a document or creating a new document for example so that could be interesting to check out yeah so i i did install it on my new non-touch bar macbook pro and it's interesting to see how the context switching works and to see how you know the software interacts with it it's it's weird and not very useful because you can't actually touch it although i did find myself wanting to touch my screen which was uh, really concerning as someone who tries really hard not to do that but i think 
overall, it's like it's a good example of like how it how it works. But I think actually having it, the physical touch bar obviously is way better. I mean, this thing is only useful to like understand how it works and take some screenshots. Um, but props to Daniel for making it because I I was having trouble understanding how the control strip, which is like the system controls on the right hand side, how that interacted with the rest of it and like the different modes and. This did help me sort of grok that a little bit better. So if you want to play with it, uh, it's just a you know free little download, and you can kind of um, uh, see how how it would work. Uh, I will say that so far I'm still okay with my purchase of the non-touch bar MacBook Pro, really for the same reasons I said initially at the cost, and because I'm using an iMac now at my desk. I, I didn't want to be in a situation where I had the touch bar just sometimes, if, in case I did find it really useful and. I was a little afraid of like that, you know, becoming a stress point in my setup. So uh, I'm still okay with the fact that I bought the cheapest one. The battery life seems to be better. The, the reviews, something that that's in all of them is like uh, battery life is kind of real inconsistent. And I had that on mine. Like, like last night I was using it and the battery life was amazing. But like two days ago, last time I pulled it out, it wasn't. So it's there seems to be some issues there maybe. But the the non-touch one perfect for my needs i really wanted a retina macbook air and that's really what i have here so you know it's it's an exciting time if, if you're in the the market for a mac notebook there are like like in casey's video there are disadvantages if you're a professional like um just the other day actually i was out taking some pictures and i wanted i'd grab my macbook pro and i wanted to import some of them but i didn't have the uh sd card reader with me and like i cannot believe that's gone from the new machine it's super frustrating um, but there, there are those trade-offs. But if you're in the market for a new machine or the touch bar really calls to you, I don't think there's anything in these reviews to dissuade you. Um, I think the the worst thing in these reviews is that right now the touch bar may be a little gimmicky until developers take full use of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you need a new machine, I, uh, I would say these are perfectly good options. So. so I think that, uh, I think that does it for uh, MacBook Pros. We're going to get into some really... Strange stuff here after this break. Um, but this show is also brought to you by MailRoute. You, do you know who should be handling your email secure, security and delivery? People who do just that, and that's MailRoute. All the big companies are bowing out of email of the email protection business because it's hard work. Postini went away, and now McAfee and MXLogic. Google even came out and said that if you want to use a gateway service like MailRoute's, that they would prefer you do that so they don't have to filter your Google Apps email. So who can you trust to do this job properly and be around for a long time? That's MailRoute. Their team has been focused entirely on email security since 1997. They know what they're doing. They protect your email and hardware against spam, viruses, and other threats, and they deliver your email even when your mail server cannot. Now, unlike some of these services, there's, there's no hardware or software to install. If you own your domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. The interface is easy to navigate and loaded with admin tools, including an API, and it's all designed to make your life better. No spam, no viruses, no bounced mail. Whether you're a small home business or a huge ISP, MailRoute can handle you. They handle customers of all sizes and provide the same level of outstanding tech support to everyone. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses and guarantees mail access during outages. That's it. That's all they do. And they do it better because they've been doing it longer than anyone else. Stop spam today and sign up for a 30-day trial at MailRoute.net slash connected. And because you're a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Thank you so much to MailRoute for their support of this show and RelayFM. So, tell me, tell me about spectacles. This must be great for you, Steven. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, <clears throat> tell me about spectacles. Okay, so, uh, are you aware of uh, teenagers? Right. Uh, uh, I I see them roaming the streets in packs. So yeah, yes. Well, there's many of them, and they use this uh, app called Snapchat, right? And Snapchat is now making uh, sunglasses that have a camera. Actually, I think two cameras, maybe, uh, or maybe one camera. Just uh, one. Just one. Just one camera. And it records um, circular video from the sunglasses and that you can watch on your phone because there's a 
automatic Bluetooth transfer for standard definition video or Wi-Fi transfer for HD video. But according to most reviews, the difference is not that noticeable. So it puts that video on your phone and the, the... I guess the gimmick or the, the feature here is that you can rotate your phone in area orientation and because the video is, uh, is a circle, uh, you don't see any uh, black bars uh, around the video. It's very smooth, very clever. Now, the, the news here, because the Spectacles, the announcement came a few months ago, the news is they're selling these devices, these sunglasses, out of vending machines uh, called the SnapBot, which is a yellow vending machine with a, with a screen, with a Snapchat, and, logo and it's it's all very strange and all very snapchatty in many many ways um you can only buy from the vending machine there's a a screen on the vending machine that shows you a preview of what the spectacles will look like on your face and the vending machines appear in seemingly random locations around the united states and you to, to catch one of these locations, you have to follow the website. And almost every day, there's a new location on the map. So they started from um, Venice Beach, so LA, California. They moved up to Big Sur. And then they're selling them in Oklahoma today, I think. Um, it's all very strange. And it's all very different. It's not a traditional tech product in any sense. There was no tech review embargo. Um, there was no big reveal to bloggers. So one day, they just showed this video of a, of a vending machine dropping from the sky, which I really don't think it was the case. It was like a simulation. <laughs> but still, the idea is just one day, the vending machine appeared and people started to line up. And of course, there's going to be people who are selling these spectacles on eBay. But, you know, it's, I have to say, it's very different. But it's also kind of cool. I think the idea. I think it is. I think the idea of driving with your friends on a road trip to find a vending machine as this sort of, a, I don't know. It's a it's a cool idea. It's different, and it makes total sense for Snapchat to do something like this, which feels more approachable than having this beautiful, elegant retail store where everyone greets you and gives you the sunglasses. No, you're just going to go on a road trip with a bunch of friends and find a vending machine somewhere in the woods, which it sounds kind of crazy. It is crazy, but it's sort of perfect yeah. for the company, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, um, I... I missed the episode where you guys talked about Snapchat. I have an account. I rarely use it. But their vibe of the company and the app, like, this fits it perfectly. Like, these vending machines are super weird but super adorable. Like, they look like the minions out of the animated movies uh, that if you're a parent, you're groaning inside uh, thinking about that. But it's – I like that it is not, like, this big tech product. That it's just something that they made and they're just – putting it random places and let their fans find them. Uh, I think it's cool. And, you know, there are some, like, hands-on impressions. There are some reviews. The Verge had one. Uh, Mashable's got one. Uh, uh, Austin Evans has a good video. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the guy who did the video with cut him in half, which is sort of hilarious. But it's it's just one of those things, like, it's so different from what we normally see in the industry that you have to pay attention to it. Even if you don't use Snapchat or, like, don't understand it uh, or think it's silly, you have to respect them for doing something that is both like totally different from everybody else, but like perfectly on brand for what they do. Definitely. I mean, it's completely unlike what we've seen before. Compare this to the Google Glass announcement, the, the, the reviews from the press. It's not a tech product in any sense. It's, a, it's almost like a, like, like a fashion object and in this case, scarcity is increasing demand, I think, and it's creating this cool factor that because it's not sold in Best Buy or in retail stores, in the traditional sense of a of a computer or, or of a tech gadget, it's, it feels more for normal people in the sense that lining up to buy a new iPhone isn't. And I mean, we've seen this from Snapchat before, how they can use tech to reach this much more normal audience of everyday teenagers, everyday people, not the ones who obsess over, you know, megabytes and standard resolution. I bet that most people don't even know that the camera has two resolutions in the spectacles because it doesn't matter. They're selling this uh, accessory 
and this idea, they're not selling a camera on the glasses. Google Glass was a camera with a bunch of Google features. This is a pair of sunglasses that work with Snapchat, and that's it. Uh, it's It doesn't feel like a tech product. It looks stylish to me. I don't know if it's going to be a big thing, if it's going to be a fad, if Snapchat is going to care about an international launch, but the the feeling seems about right to me. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I agree with you, they look good. They're not as cyborg as the Google Glass uh, were. And I think they're, they've taken some lessons from Google Glass where... Uh, you have the camera on the other side. You have a little ring of LEDs that spin when you're recording. It's very clear yeah. Yeah. when it's recording, which I think was one of the – even if it wasn't an actual problem with Google Glass, it was a perceived problem that like people are recording and you don't know it. Yeah. Uh, this helps with that, I think. I think it's pretty clear that if you see spinning LEDs, you may not know it's a camera, but you know they're doing something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, – coupled with the fact that they're sunglasses, that you're not wearing these – you know, indoors, like there was that... Um, <laughs> unless you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you just are super way cooler than we are. It's, um, it is a different thing. Like if it's something that you're going to put on, how much video do they shoot or how long is the battery? It's like 16 minutes of battery life or something. Like That's... this is not something you're going to wear all day and it's going to be part... It's not going to be like an Apple Watch where it's something that you interact with throughout the day. It's something that you put on... Uh, maybe you're wearing it, but you're using it for very short periods of time. My guess is you'd be using it um, in situations where people may know what they are. I mean, I, I think that the fact that they have this buzz around them and they look the way they look, you know, maybe that helps. But um, the tech is pretty interesting, too. So the, the, you mentioned this, the the video was circular. And so basically you, you're looking at one of these videos and as you like turn your phone in your yeah. hand from like portrait to landscape and beyond. Yeah. Uh, it the the viewfinder shifts around the the image, mm-hmm. um, which that's super hard to explain. Like, yeah. go look at some of these links and watch it if you haven't seen it. It's a really cool effect, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for creativity in that. You can have something like hiding that in your field of view that people don't see until they turn their phone, or like I think people are going to really play with this format because it is a new format to a degree. I yeah, think it's I think that opens a lot of doors. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if this is gonna be eventually a, a mode or an API in, in the iOS camera. Um because the, the interaction is very smooth and it captures uh this beautiful edge to edge video that you can rotate and you and it keeps the center, doesn't show you any UI chrome around. It's it's all very smooth, all very, very different and and I feel like once you see it, you're going to want all of your videos to be like that. Uh, so definitely a very smart interaction from from Snapchat, who's not new. Snapchat is not new to creating these sort of UI paradigms that other companies are going to follow. Because even if you look at the iMessage, there's a bunch of features that Snapchat pioneered, you know, whether it's drawing on pictures or, you know, the big emoji and whatever. It's, it's um, I, I would keep an eye on what Snapchat is doing, because even if we're probably not that um, Snapchat's big audience, um, they know what they're doing. They're not clueless, as m- most of us think. They're not just throwing interfaces at the wall and see what sticks. They, they know exactly what they're doing. They're just doing it very much differently from what we're used to. So this is the background for a report in Bloomberg yesterday. And uh, it is by our friend Mark Gerben and some and some Bloomberg colleagues. And I'm just going to read you the lead. Apple is weighing an expansion and digital glasses, a risky but potentially lucrative area of wearable computing, according to people familiar with the matter. Mm, okay. So uh, super early days on this. Um, the thing in this report that jumps out at me the most is... Uh, Gurman does a good job at highlighting all the times Cook has talked about AR. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this this idea of augmented reality, that you were seeing the world, but you were seeing things layered on top of it. Cook seems to be interested in this. And Apple's <laughs> another way that Apple has changed is that they talk about things now. And like Jeff Williams made the comment about the car being the, the ultimate portable device. Uh, Cook was on stage talking about um, like... Uh, ways to track 
like the human body and sensors and stuff, and we got the Apple Watch. I I think Apple is definitely looking at AR. Yeah, and the only way you do that is with the headset or glasses, right? Um, no one wants to like hold up the phone and look through their phone mm-hmm. like uh, Pokemon Go all day. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if Apple is really looking at AR, then they have to be looking at some sort of glasses or gog, you know, it's like head unit of some sort, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it feels <laughs> like it feels like the the best way to present an interface that augments what you're seeing, um, whether it's AR or uh, mixed reality, whatever uh, these people are calling it. And we, we talked before about how products like Apple Maps, for example, could be enhanced by, by um, uh, AR. I, I just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm torn here because on the one hand, it feels like a repeat of the initial Apple Watch rumors. You know, we, we started hearing these sort of conversations uh, a couple of years uh, before the actual Apple Watch uh, was announced. And so it, it, it seems to be a, patter, a pattern of modern Apple uh, entering a new category of devices that a couple of years before, you start hearing these rumors. Apple is considering these glasses according to people familiar with the matter because it sort of eases uh, people into the idea uh, of what they're going to see, you know, like in 2018, for example. But also, I remember Tim Cook's comment on um, I wear eyeglasses because I have to, not because I want to. So, it, uh, w- you know, people are not going to want to wear eyeglasses because they're, uh, because of a bunch of AR features. Uh, you know, most people don't like eyeglasses. I wear eyeglasses because I find contacts disgusting but you know if i had a choice i would not wear eyeglasses so the only type of glasses that are suitable for most people are sunglasses and this to me feels like a response to the buzz around snapchat and the spectacles because the type of glasses that people want to wear are sunglasses so are we looking at apple sunglasses are we looking at the you know real version of the emoji with the sunglasses is that a, some mm-hmm. kind of teaser um I feel like with Apple's involvement with the Apple Watch, with a bunch of different fashion companies, it's not too crazy at this point to imagine Apple doing their own sunglasses with a bunch of partnerships with, you know, like Gucci or Ray-Ban, for example, and to have maybe Apple could be a provider of AR features for other type of sunglasses. Because you also need to consider that unlike the Apple Watch, the wrist is pretty much universal right it's the the wrist is a universal point of the human body in the sense that once you nail the concept of the band and the the the, the measurements and the size of the band you don't have any special requirements for the wrist it's just a wrist you just put the watch in there in your set you just need to adjust the band but putting something on your face and in front of your eyes, well, that's a much higher degree of complexity because people have different uh, eyesights, because people have different uh, eyesight-related problems. Uh, and also, something on your face sticks out much more than a watch on your wrist. So the degree of complexity and the, 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 the proposition that you make to people has to be so perfect, has to be, at the same time, so versatile because otherwise we're just going to look, everybody's going to look like, you know, like robots wearing the same, you know, AR glasses on our faces. Uh, now, I find Snapchat is doing much more simple to get people into this idea. You know, uh, you don't see any interface in front of you. It's just a pair of sunglasses with the camera and you see the right. video on your phone. But the rumor here is Apple is exploring AR. It's going to put an interface in front of your eyes. And the way they're going to do it, it's going to be sunglasses, it's going to be eyeglasses, it's going to be a special type of visor like the Google Glass. I don't think so. I think we're looking at sunglasses, and I think we're looking at a fashion focus, if this is true. Otherwise, you know, it could be just a concept and it's going to go nowhere. Yeah, and it's, I think that's an important distinction. Like, I think if we, if Apple's working on what I think you and I believe that they are, it is drastically different from what snapchat is doing yeah but what snapchat can do is they can help normalize technology on the face that google glass did not do that in fact people like there was severe backlash to google glass 
right? And and people were very turned off by it. And there were some horrible stories of people wearing them, like being attacked. Like there was some terrible stuff that happened. Apple's not full of dummies. Like they know that happened. And so anything they introduce is coming into a world that is hostile historically to on face technology. But if, if Snapchat and spectacles can break that down a little bit and, and they can normalize people to the idea of it, then if Apple's coming along in a couple of years with something, maybe that landscape has changed. You know, maybe Apple benefits from Snapchat kind of softening the blow a little bit when it comes to this thing. Who knows if Apple will ship something? You know, it seems uh, Gurman actually writes it that there's tons of stuff that happens within Apple. They they build prototypes that never ship. Maybe the car was one of them. They you know, they work on things for a long time that, that don't necessarily ever get out the door. And it's another way Apple has changed over the years, by the way. Um, so this may be just early days that something that they're playing with it, but never shit. But I think it's interesting that Cook keeps talking about it. I think it's interesting that there is something in his mind and something that he wants to share with people <laughs> about his thoughts on this. Um, at first, I thought it was a defensive move against VR of saying, you know, VR is going to be big in gaming. We don't have a VR headset because we don't think that's the future. We think AR is the future. Like, yeah, everybody's ta- everybody's talking about VR, but we're also doing this thing just with a different letter. It's AR. We're, we're, uh, it's also <laughs> cool, guys. It's we're doing this one. <laughs> I mean, they are fundamentally different. And and yeah. I initially thought that Cook was saying uh, we don't believe VR is where we want to go, and that was just a defensive move. But you know, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it, it is a hint of something to come. Who knows? Like. All of this stuff you have to take with a huge grain of salt, but I thought it was super interesting the timing of this leak being mm-hmm. days after a giant yellow robots started dispensing spectacles in random towns across the United States. Like the timing is, is so interesting. And if Snapchat can change the perception of technology you wear in your face, then Apple only benefits from that. And they don't have to come into a world, like I said, where uh, Google if it poisoned to, to people's minds. Yeah, I, I, I'm i very optimistic personally about uh, Snapchat and the spectacles. It feels like um, like a continuation of the fact that, uh, and, and I see this with a lot of my friends, it's become totally normal to use GoPros, for example, to capture what's in front of you in during special occasions. And I feel like there's there's been a barrier coming down of what's acceptable when you're having... A shared experience, whether it's a concert or you're going for a hike and you're capturing what you see, and which is also, you know, it's very cool when you watch afterwards. And so I think they're sort of riding on that sort of changing perception with a product that is much cooler than a GoPro, than a GoPro and that is also quite useful because it's sunglasses. Uh, and it makes total sense for, you know, when you go to concerts or when you're you know, spending a weekend, uh, you know, at, at the beach, for example. I think it's a very it's a very sensible use of a device that is meant to be used outside uh with what Snapchat is best at doing which is letting people share memories um in a non-creepy way um if Apple can do this much more difficult thing which is to show me a computer on my retina, in, in the literal sense, now we're talking about something completely different, way into the future, at least a couple of years, I would say. And it does feel like like the first Apple Watch rumors. And if you remember back then, we were already doing this show, and we were talking a bunch, uh, about all kinds of... a bunch of different features, like, oh, it's gonna monitor my skin conductive level whatever it's gonna do this crazy health feature and it ended up being a much more restricted much more limited kind of fashion slash computer accessory so now when we're talking about ar we're in the rumor stage and we're picturing all of these kind of crazy ideas and if it's true the final product product will likely be a more limited more simple in a way type of interface type of 
computer product that does stuff for you. There's going to be Siri, there's going to be Apple Maps, but it's not going to be, you know, oh my God, I'm going to I'm going to buy the Apple glasses and uh, now, you know, hello everyone, I'm Robocop, you know. It's not going to be that. Uh, but it's also more difficult than, than, you know, sunglasses that capture video. So I guess it's the new thing we're keeping an eye on because now that the Apple Watch is with us, we needed this new kind of product category. And so I guess we're, this is the rumor, you know, with the car now on the side, now we're going to talk about glasses. So, yay. <laughs> so if you want to find links to all this stuff this week, you can do so at relay.fm slash connected slash 117. You can find our dearly departed co-host on Twitter at IMYKE. You can find Federico at maxstories.net and Vitici on Twitter. You can find me at 512pixels.net and ISMH. If you want to send feedback for the show, you can do it uh, via email or via Twitter. Uh, the show is at underscore connected FM. It's always good to have follow-up from people. Until next week, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.